I don't know about you, but I find myself continually looking back at the images from the James Webb telescope that NASA has uh, displayed and just continue to be so fascinated and mesmerized, uh, just in awe of what it is that we are discovering about the, the myriad of galaxies and just the expansive universe and the, the fact that all of this was already there. We are just now seeing it for the first time. And, and like me, maybe in, in looking at this or just looking up at the night sky, seeing all the stars, it can make us feel very small, that we're the, just this tiny, teeny, tiny little speck in a vast, vast universe. But also remembering, as part of our faith, uh, in God's creation, in all of this, and the awareness of all of this, that God is aware of all of these teeny, tiny specks and has equal love for all of them. But something that one of the astrophysicists uh, said in some of the interviews, uh, just talking about um, some of the planets that have been discovered and, and um, particularly ones that are similar structure to our planet Earth. And she was talking about, you know, the, the hydrogen and the carbon and the oxygen. All of these things are the, the building blocks which make us as humans. And I found myself really reflecting on that, that, that the material that creates all of these other galaxies exists and resides within each and every one of us. In a sense, what she said was, this is where we come from, certainly from a biological standpoint. And it made me think of that great verse that we say every Ash Wednesday, to dust we come from and to dust we shall return. But for me anyway, it was I found myself reflecting on it's not just the dust of the ground that we're speaking of, but to remember that the dust of the ground first came from the dust of the stars. And so linking that to the passage that we are exploring today from Acts, Paul says uh, to the people he's speaking with, he says, one of your poets said it very well, we are the God created. He goes on, well, if we are the God created, then it doesn't make much sense, does it, to think we could hire a sculptor to chisel a God out of stone for us. In this passage, Paul finds himself in a very uh, Greek-centered environment, a lot of philosophizing and even theologizing. And even after a couple thousand years, we professional theologians, I don't think, have changed very much, especially when we get together and we sort of get locked in our own minds and our own perceptions and conversations. We kind of forget everything else around us. I remember one time in seminary, as I was walking from one class to another, I walked past one of my professors, and he said to me, did you just see me come out of the cafeteria? I said, I don't know, I guess so. And he's like, oh, that's good. That means I must have had lunch today. And just kind of, whoops, sorry, just kind of kept walking on. And I thought about that for a second, and I realized, you know, there's this fine line between being divinely inspired and thinking, I might need to check on my professor. But perhaps it should always be this struggle that we have, this question that we need to ask from time to time. Am I really seeing God, or am I just seeing the God I have made up in my own mind? And am I staying there? Is that the God with whom I am staying. The, the phrase, the hashtag BUMC, um, is a recent campaign. It's not, it's not really anything new necessarily. Um, 
it's, it's the newest incarnation of what our denomination has been doing to kind of remind us all, what does it mean to be a United Methodist? Now, part of this is in response to some of the fallout, some of the disruption which has been happening in our denomination as churches have disaffiliated to either join a new denomination, the Global Methodist Church, um, or join other denominations, or just decide to, to be their own independent church. And as we shared last Sunday, there's now a lawsuit happening within the Florida Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is around local United Methodist churches in our conference wanting to just go ahead and disaffiliate right away without going through the procedure that our denomination has put in place. So as you can imagine, in the midst of this are many questions. Questions like, why is this happening? What is it these churches want? Is our church going to do this? And, of course, the answer is no. We have no intention of changing who we are. And, again, that's not just the decision of the pastors or the leadership. This is what we've been hearing from you all as well, our church, our congregation. But, of course, in the midst of this, there has been a lot of information. There has also been um, maybe we feel like there's been a lack of information or even maybe misinformation. To say nothing of the rest of the chaos that is already going on and trying to keep track of everything to know uh, what the latest updates are and just how do we live in the midst of this reality. And in the midst of that, how do we be and stay, remain, United Methodist? And so as a way to remember part of who we are in whatever the future holds, one of the questions we've been looking at is what does it mean to be UMC? To explore this, we are going to explore some of the foundational beliefs that we have as the United Methodist Church, but also look at how we practice and live into those beliefs locally here as First United Methodist Church of Lakeland. So as United Methodists, of course, we say we believe in God. So if we look at our Book of Discipline, uh, which has all of our procedures and rules, but it also has our doctrines of faith, that part is in the beginning of our book. We have the Articles of Religion, which was created by the Methodist Church when it existed in 1808. And we also have the Confession of Faith, which comes from the Evangelical United Brethren Discipline from 1963. Now, of course, these two denominations joined together in 1968 to create what we now call the United Methodist Church. So it is important to look back on these theologies and these publications to say, what do we believe as part of our heritage? The EUB statement of God, for instance, reads, we believe in the one true holy and living God, eternal spirit, who is creator, sovereign, and preserver of all things visible and invisible. God is infinite in power, wisdom, justice, goodness, and love and rules with gracious regard for the well-being and salvation of all to the glory of his name. We believe the one God reveals himself as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct but inseparable, eternally one in essence and power. If you fast forward several decades, if you go onto our website, for example, umc.org, which is the website of the denomination, in the little article that it has about God, it says this, because we cannot speak literally about God, we use metaphors. God is a shepherd, a bridegroom, a judge. God is love or light or truth. 
We cannot describe God with certainty, but we can put into words what God does and how we experience God's actions in our lives. God creates, God sustains, God loves, God suffers, God judges, God redeems, God reigns. Definitions are helpful. Words are helpful. Tangible examples are helpful, especially when we are trying to grab hold of something as big and as powerful as that question, who is God? And then certainly how we experience that answer. And we need those opportunities to discover. But the thing about God, of course, is whatever we discover now, whatever we believe now, is not necessarily what we are supposed to be finished discovering or even believing. When Paul encounters these Athenians, this is part of what he shares with them. This comes from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 20 through through 28. I'll be reading from the message translation. Paul says, It is plain to see that you Athenians take your religion seriously. When I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. And then I found one inscribed, To the God nobody knows. I'm here to introduce you to this God so you can worship intelligently, so you can know who you are dealing with. The God who made the world and everything in it, the master of sky and land, does not live in custom-made shrines, or God does not need the human race to run errands for him, as if he could not take care of himself. God makes the creatures. The creatures do not make God. Starting from scratch, God made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. God doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. He's not remote. God is near. We live and move in God. We cannot get away from him. One of our poets said it best, where the God created. Well, if we are the God created, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think we could hire a sculptor to chisel out God out of stone, does it? The God who made the world and everything in it. And of course, as we now have experienced the God beyond the world and everything in it, master of sky and land, This God does not need to live in custom-made shrines. In high school, in part of our AP English class, we took a section called Bible as Literature. And in the midst of this, we uh, studied and talked about the term anthropomorphize, which the definition, among others, is to ascribe human form. This, of course, is very easy to do, and it's very easy to teach, especially to children. It's one of the reasons Disney is so successful. Take an animal, anthropomorphize it, and you have a fantastic character who stays with you. Sometimes we can stay on that image. And this isn't just with fictional characters. It can also be with characters such as God. I mean, it can start that way in our first experience, to make God more human so that God seems more relatable and more connected. The question is, as we grow, as we change, as we mature, does our image of God do the same, 
or does it stay in that human-focused, anthropomorphized version? In other words, is our image of God freeing or is it limiting? What if something happens in our life when that God no longer works or is no longer big enough? In, in conversations like this, I've often heard people say, well, I just, I don't want to lose my God. I don't want to lose my God. So maybe it's important for us to ask that question. Who is our God? I mean, in growing up, kind of looking back in, in my own version of how I experienced and, and, and seen and, and even, I confess, labeled God, For a long time, my God was a God sort of like Santa Claus. Cause and effect, good and bad, God either blessed or punished, depending on how I acted. Then I had a God that was a little bit more active, a a God that would say, get out of your boat. Don't just wait for me to do things. Come alongside. Be a part. For a while, I had a God of sacrifice and penalty. Then I had a God of liberation Then I had a God of of so many things, I wasn't really sure who God really was. At one point, I had a God of mystery. And then just kind of looking back, seeing how all of these were sort of shrines and, and labels and limitations boxes that I myself put my idea of who God was in. And sometimes it cut me off from what God was trying to show me. One of my favorite parts of the story of Exodus is when Moses encounters God And God simply says, I am what I am. And that might be parts of God that I absolutely understand or think I understand, but it also contains, as does now, we know our universe is more vast than we ever considered. So how is God revealed? As we look in scripture, we see many different examples. God is revealed in a rainstorm, in a fiery bush, In a cloud of fire, God is revealed in the whirlwind. God is revealed in the whisper. And, of course, God is revealed in Jesus Christ. So if God is revealed in Jesus Christ, and we as disciples, as Christians, proclaim that this is the ultimate revelation, then it is important, in fact, it is imperative that we know who Christ was, what Christ did, how he lived, not just that he died. A God who does not live in shrines made by human hands goes through all of these iterations. And are we willing to keep going to discover the next one? Paul confronts the Athenians and the God or the gods they have created in their own minds with the God he has personally encountered. And this is part of what we see in the story of Acts, how it is that Paul, who thought he already knew exactly who God was and what he was supposed to do to serve God, has this amazing other natural experience. And it completely turns his world upside down. Who is the God we have personally encountered? Who is the God maybe we thought we knew? And who is the God we have actually experienced? John Wesley began his journey into what we now call the United Methodist Church way after his time. 
having a very Anglican, very studious, scholarly, put-together, structured view, not only of who God was, but who he was supposed to be and how he was supposed to serve. And life experience taught him otherwise, almost to a broken state when he didn't know what he was supposed to do or really even if God loved him. But then he has his own sort of Paul experience, whereas he personally encounters God, he writes about this as his heart being strangely warmed. And all of those things that he thought were rock solid, including his failures, changed because he changed, because he now saw God in a new way. A God who was out in the world, who was out among the people, not just in pristine churches, but out where anybody and everyone was, including fields, including taverns, including places that uh, might seem to society to be not worth walking into, Wesley saw that God was already in those places. And so he preached to any and all people. And he preached about anything and everything. He preached about social classes. He preached about racism. He preached about equality, proclaiming that God sees value in all people. As United Methodists, as first United Methodists, how do we practice God's love toward all people in all places? Some of you may know Ann Skellinger. She is a retired teacher, uh, very involved in our church, has been leaders in many committees. She is now in a group called Be the Bridge. In this video you're about to see, she talks about seeing people as who they are and that that experience has changed her life, how she sees the world, how she sees others, how she lives among others, and what is that purpose God has given us. Let's take a watch. I am a member of First United Methodist Church and have been a member here for 30 years. Before that, I lived in rural Iowa. I was born into a United Methodist family and I married into a United Methodist family. I've been United Methodist all my life. I grew up in rural Iowa, as I said, and our town was 800 people and the only diversity was which of the three churches you went to. And so my first real experience with people of color was college and then I moved here and I went to work for an agency where it was probably 75% people of color and I was the minority. And that was an experience for a rural farm girl to come to Florida. The heat, the challenges of the, the different culture. And I think what I learned in my heart was I never intended to feel the way I felt about things or I never intended to say hurtful things that I never intended to think the way I thought, but that's what opened up my heart, was I think about some of the things that I had said or done, and it made me realize I have a long way to go, but I'm going to get there. Be the Bridge is a collaboration between um, the First United Methodist Church in Lakeland, and Hearst Chapel in Winter Haven, which is a predominantly um, black church. Be the Bridge was started by Latasha Morrison, where she realized there's a gap. 
people don't have relationships. People assume something from one one group cultures assume something of another culture. They assume something, and we need to know each other's stories, and we need to to get together and to make make things better, not worse. And it's it's a reconciliation. Now I can't reconcile the whole world, but I can reconcile my corner. It's to get to know each other and to reconcile that there is an issue, that we're all God's children. It doesn't matter what color we are. We're all God's children, and we need to find common ground. I can't begin to understand some of the things that other people have gone through, no matter their color, until I know their story. Change is not going to happen unless we make it happen. You know, we could keep going on this way, but. We need reconciliation. We need community building. We need Polk County to be a county of community builders, not community dividers. It's so important. As I'm, I go back to it every time, it's so important to know someone's story. As United Methodists, well, and more importantly, simply as people, we live among a God. Who lives among us? As Paul says, He doesn't play hide and seek with us. God is not remote. God is near. We live and move in Him. We cannot get away from Him. We are the God created. And so, if God is in all things, yes, God is in our minds. In the ways that we are able to ponder and think and dissect and analyze and reflect and pray, but we need to remember that God is also beyond that, beyond us, beyond the world, beyond the universe. And so, what more do we have to explore, and what more do we have to discover? What more do we have to grow, and what more do we have to change? And by the way, this is not just what Paul taught. This is what Jesus taught in his ministry, in the midst of his healing, in the midst of his restoration, in the midst of his ministry, helping us to see that God is much, much bigger and more powerful than we ever imagined. Hashtag BUMC is not just about a focus on the global Methodist Church. More importantly, it's. A focus on ourselves. Who are we? Who do we want to be? Not just as United Methodists, but as disciples, as followers, as God's people. It is, of course, easier to say what we are against. It might even be easier to say who we are against. But for us, as United Methodists, as First United Methodists of Lakeland, what are we for? And who are we for? Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we acknowledge that things continue to be complicated. They continue to be chaotic and stressful. And in the midst of this, we strive to know Your presence. And so, as we discover You, help us to continue to discover You. Help us to continue to see how you are there, how you have been there this whole time, with everything that you are and everything that you reveal to us. May we continue to not only see and experience this, but may we also live it out. May we practice it. May we share it with the world. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
I think about what Karen said as she introduced Muriel's video. Muriel found a way. In our thinking and imagining of God, sometimes who God has been revealed to us or how we have experienced God may be limiting or confining. If we've been taught that God is purely about judgment and stopping, perhaps we don't know a way. But hopefully as we are blessed by the community of others who embody God's love, we are able to find that way, to go beyond that image of God we have been taught to a God is much more beyond that, that is all-encompassing, but powerfully is incarnational of love. It is our hope, not as United Methodists, but simply as God's people, that we continue to experience a God of love and that that love takes us beyond anything we could have ever imagined. And that as United Methodists, as First United Methodists, we experience that journey together. So may we go out into the world as United Methodists, as God's people, sharing that a way is possible. God not only makes that way, but God is already in that way. May we discover that God, and may we go in peace. Amen.